um, I felt like the Lord told me, Les, I can't do anything more. That's really the answer, isn't it? He can't do anything more. Everything hinged and changed the entire door. The entire door to heaven's resources, to God's love, was opened at the cross. There's nothing more. There's no waiting on God. It's us believing. It's us believing. It's us believing. It's us being confident that he's a good father. Who is this king of glory? Who is the ruler of the universe? Who is? Well, he's my dad. It's that thing. It's that stirring up in us. It's not sitting, waiting by a pool, waiting for somebody to come and push us in when a traveling evangelist comes. Or when you get to pray down here, when you get anointed with oil. It's like something there that we walk with. We are now the temple. We are now the temple. We have a river of life flowing out of us. We don't go look for a river of life. We're not looking. We have the river of life. We look to untap that. We look to unclog that. We look to unravel all the mental and emotional and religious doctrinal theological construct that keeps us from embracing a true and living God that's living within us and wants to live through us. And um, the problem is never what God has not done. The problem is never what we have not done either. It's constantly how we believe. Belief determines our actions. And um, I do want to use John 15, 13. Just when Jesus says there's no greater love to lay down one's life for your friend. Jesus did that. But Jesus took it a step further. That's why the cross changes everything. Because Jesus takes it a step further. And he lays his life down for his enemies. Which at the time were me and you. He preempted us. He preempted our sin. And we say past, present, and future, but we don't, it doesn't feel like it. If we're not walking in that true, real freedom, that real freedom where our sin isn't weighing us down, our mind is not weighing us down, our emotions are not weighing us down, that's the weight of sin upon us. And Jesus died to set us free from that. And when we start tuning into the reality of that, then things will change a lot more. So the problem is never what God has not done. The problem is never what I have not done. It's always what I'm believing. And that, if I, could, if I will believe different, I will walk differently. His spirit is continuously right there with me to answer my questions. Yet I rarely ask him a question. I talk to myself. Coming up here today, I talk to myself for a good 45 minutes. After I got in 20 minutes of traffic, we're right off the seawall. I come in, the seawall is half closed, they're having a, a, a fundraiser fun run. And I stopped, we had stopped on the seawall for 20 minutes. So there's 20 minutes of being mad I might be not get to church on time. <laughs> Even though I gave myself three hours. So then I get in the car and I realize I had this relation dynamic in my head. But he's, the Holy Spirit's always there for us. God is always willing to move within us. It's us. We're not like, oh, he's there, but he doesn't like us. He's there, but I haven't done enough right. He's there, but I've been bad. I have to be good enough. And when I'm good enough, then I'll get, he'll just start doing something. He did it. We access it. The Old Testament is a story of really, really bad men and women doing amazing things in Jesus' name. And he uses them. He uses murderers and adulterers. He uses thieves. It's amazing what he uses. He uses Peter, which we're going to talk about today. You know, there's an old song. I don't know why it kept going in my head. And I, I didn't realize that Johnny Cash had sang it, but a whole bunch of these old guys sang it. And um, when you go to YouTube, if you look up this song, it's called At the Cross. The lyrics go, At the Cross, At the Cross. Some of you will have sung this in church, because I did. At the Cross, At the Cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. 
It was there, by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Something happens at the cross. Your joy, your peace, your deliverance, your healing, it's all happened. We then walk into that. We're not working really hard to get that. Every believer starts at the cross. Every believer finishes at the cross. Every believer draws their life from the cross. But we think, oh, I have to go. And I'm, I, I go to events. And I listen to podcasts and I read books and I do a daily spiritual discipline. I try to change up um, every year and things so I don't get like, you know, um, lazy in my spiritual discipline. I, do all, I believe in all the process of all those things. But there's this God thing that's constantly there that's available to us that we can access. So this morning... I want to take a look at Judas and Peter real quick, and then I want to talk about how they're different. And um, Judas and Peter are interesting because Judas is known as Judas the betrayer, right? Peter is not known as Peter the denier, Peter the big chicken, Peter the crybaby, Peter the one who refused to recognize Jesus in front of anybody for three times. He's not known as that, but he is that. He's actually, he actually, in a lot of ways, when you read scripture, he's worse off until that point than, than Judas was. And we're, we're going to look at that in a minute. And I'm, going to get, I'm not going to go to these scriptures, but the Judas as betrayer is in the Gospels, but you can check out Matthew 10 and Mark 3. So what's interesting, so I'm not going to use scripture, I'm going to use scripture later on. We've used a lot of scripture the last two Sundays, but the, I'm going to use the stories of scripture. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all continue to identify, identify Judas as one of the 12 disciples, even after he's betrayed Jesus. Isn't that interesting? They don't automatically cut him off. And Jesus himself keeps calling him his, one of his 12. Jesus knows and says at a meal with him, like if we're all sitting here, and it says, one of you is a betrayer, and it goes around the table, and each one asks, is it me, is it me, is it me, is it me? And it comes to Judas, and he says something to Judas that we now see, oh, it's Judas. We would have seen it back then, maybe, but we're there, we don't know it. But he still eats with them. He's still part of the procession. He's still part of everything. He, Jesus doesn't kick him out when he knows he's the betrayer. At what point, if he always knew? So Judas is a betrayer is an interesting thing because Jesus still eats a very sacred uh, Lord's Supper with him. The last time he's going to eat or drink until he returns, until Jesus returns. And so there's something there that we, we, we miss. But what's interesting is Jesus is okay with, with Judas' betrayal. He's okay with it. He sits with it. He relates to him. He's not afraid of Judas's sin. He's not afraid of Judas's betrayal. What would we do? If we think somebody might betray us, we kick him out of our life early on. In fact, some of us have such deep wounds that we kick people out of our lives really early on. And we call everything betrayal because we don't want anybody to get close to us. But Jesus is good. He's okay with betrayal. Our betrayal of him, whatever it looks like, as he is okay with our denying him. He's not worried. He's not afraid. He sees he's got the long, long relationship plan going on. It's not like he's going to switch you out for somebody better, for a better, for a better Christian, for a better believer, for somebody that can help his cause more. He is long term in love with you. Something that we don't see. We know Judas betrayed uh, Jesus. We also know that he betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. What we miss a lot of times is that Judas then goes back and he goes back to those same religious leaders and he gives them the money and he says he's an innocent man. They laugh at him basically and he goes, who cares? And then it says, here's his words. It says, um, here, I'm sorry, here's the author's words. He says um, in Matthew 27, 3 and 4, when Judas who had betrayed Jesus saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. 
and returned the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Then Jesus goes on and hangs himself. So that Judas does. I'm sorry, not Jesus. That would be a horrible story. Because he had to, he had to we're going to talk about later on in the series, while he had, had to be the cross. It had to be the cross. It couldn't be he died of an accident. He couldn't be that he died with a sword. He couldn't have just been hung. It had to brutalize his body and strip him of his humanity so he didn't even look human. That we're, we're going to talk about later, that later on. But um, so that's the story of basically of Judas that we have. So we have a, and if, if you can take it out where he's a horrible, wicked person, because here's one of the guys that went and cast out demons and healed the sick. Here's one of the guys that went door to door. And here's one of the guys that was expanding the church with Jesus. It's not like he was on the sideline. He was with them when miraculous things were going on. There's a couple theories that we might talk about later of why he, um, why he uh, betrays Jesus. The easiest one is that the demon entered into him. But that's got a lot of stuff wrapped around that. But here's Peter's story. You can see Peter's story again in Matthew 26 and Mark 14 of what I'm talking about right now. But before Peter even denies Jesus, Peter's quite the jerk, isn't he? Peter's actually more trouble than Judas and the other ten disciples wrapped in together. We know that about Peter, right? He's obnoxious. He's, um, he's probably arrogant. He's willing to fight. He's willing to rebuke Jesus. Jesus rebukes him back. Actually tells, get behind me, Satan, because he was so wrong in his self-righteousness and what he saw he was going to do. And... Um, Jesus takes him and two others to go pray, and he specifically tells them, stay awake. And what does Peter do? Like four times he falls asleep. And um, so he wasn't a very good follower of Jesus all the way up until this point. And then at this point um, of the crucifixion, when Judas, Judas is hanging himself, Jesus is being, is being um, questioned and pummeled, and he'll be, he'll be crucified Peter denies Jesus three different times. And he was so, and this is how bad it is. He was so arrogant. He said before, I will never deny you. It's kind of like us saying, I will never do that. And then people watching us do it three times. All right. The exact opposite of what we said we were going to do. And it's that arrogance that he brought with him. But um, think about this. And Peter, it never says that Peter said he was remorseful. Never said he was repentant. Never says that he, that he, that he said that Jesus, he, he never made any apologies for it. But what he did, because Judas in the repentance parts and being remorseful, seems like everything was right in his heart. Except, except he took his salvation into his own hands. Peter endures the contradiction of his horrible self. And until he actually has a recognition that, oh my gosh, I thought I loved Jesus. But when it got hard, I did deny him three times. Until he got to the very lowest point of his, he got unraveled. Or as it says in the message at the end of his rope. Until he got there, he never knew how much Jesus loved him. And he never knew how much he needed Jesus to be with him. To be the man that he wanted to be. So we see these two stories, but instead of hanging himself, Peter becomes the first missionary, the first missionary to the Gentiles. He becomes a, one of the pillars of uh, Christianity in the, in the major city there. He becomes all of these things, and he, he writes part of the New Testament. We speak of him highly, but it, it was all because something hinged on the cross. And it wasn't just that, that, Judas, that Judas hanged himself and Peter didn't, because um, we have this idea that Judas could have never been forgiven. And you have to ask yourself, had Judas 
not hung himself, had Judas endured the pain, the confusion, the darkness that the others that the others did, even after his betrayal, would he have been continued to be part of the twelve disciples? And how you answer that question is probably how you see God right now today. If you're like, no way, then you see God, there's a point where God's going to cast you out that you need to be good. If you see, yeah, I think he would have been, then that's like, that's the other side of the cross. That's the New Testament part of the cross. Most of us are Old and New Testament. I'm saved by grace, but here's all the things I have to do to make God happy. Here's all the things I have to do to become healed and whole. Here's all the things I have to do to have real freedom. And again, there's, there's processes and there's things you want to go through. There's conversations you need to have and all of those things. But um, and this, this, uh, this, this might help. So let's say somebody comes and buys you a house, like a super nice house. And they, they hand you the keys. Say, here's, here's the keys to the house. It's brand spanking new. I've paid all the insurance on it forever. I've paid all the upkeep on it. It's yours. All the utilities on it, it's yours. I want you to go and enjoy it. And what would you do? You'd, you'd move in. You'd invite all your friends to go swimming, to watch a movie in the movie room. If it, if it was house given to me, I would hope there'd be like a tennis court in it. So I'd invite you all over on a nice day like today. Of course, after church or on Saturday to play tennis or something. You, you would enjoy it, right? But, but maybe you wouldn't. Maybe most of you would do what we do with our salvation all the time. We say it's free, but then we act like it costs us a whole bunch. Like there's huge maintenance fees on our salvation. Paul says in Galatians, who has, bewitched, who, who, has, who has bewitched you? Who has tricked you? Who has played with your mind to think that you can do anything with the amazing thing that God started in you? And he's going to end it in you. So again, our job is our faith to walk into that. That's our hard work. That's what religious practices are for. Religious practices aren't for, I went to church today, check. I read my Bible today, check. I didn't watch any of this kind of movie, check. I didn't do this, check. It's like religious practices are practices that actually practice entering into belief, entering into kingdom things where we can express ourselves after he expresses himself to us. Most of us worry about breaking something, about dishonoring God, about messing up the house. We worry about the payment, but what if I start a ministry and this happens? What if I pray for somebody, but nothing happens? What if I believe this and nothing happens? But God, God keeps saying, I've given you this, the fullness of your salvation. And um, I'm going to give two examples of how Judas and Peter are different. Because some of us keep acting like Judas. Some of us keep acting like, I need to... We haven't hung ourselves, but I need to keep a super low profile. I need to, if I'm quiet as a church mouse, then God will be happy with me. And I'm telling you what, God is happier with David out fighting giants, out being amazing, and then committing adultery and killing the the girl's wife. He's way happier with that repentant heart that's active than quiet as a church mouse. Did you know that? He wants that. He wants, he wants us to go. It's way better to struggle and die and get up and live again and be living and be fully alive than it is to just be quiet, to just be good, to just be broken, quiet, useless Christians. I don't mean useless, but I, maybe I do. I don't know. So two examples. So the first example is how many of us struggle with forgiving ourselves? 
We replay conversations over and over in our head. We replay actions over and over in our head. We, we replay how we've treated other people. We replay what we used to believe but don't believe anymore and how that might have hurt people. I don't replay a lot of things in my head, but I think about every student that I ever taught. I don't remember all of them, but just I think about them. Did I, did, did, did I, was I loving enough to them? But it, some of those things can be unforgiving for us. And when we don't, when we don't forgive ourselves, I don't mean forgive ourselves like, oh, who cares? We don't forgive ourselves deeply. Then we are saying, no, thank you. I don't want the work of the cross. You know what? Jesus, your sacrifice was not enough. It gets me into heaven, but it doesn't give me peace here on earth. And it's not, it's not a true statement. If the cross changes everything once and for all, then we don't have to keep seeking forgiveness for those things. Because there's a deep, deep uncovering a deep, deep, um, last week I called it the, the Moab, the mother of all bombs has been dropped on our sin. The mother of all bombs has decimated. You have to work hard to find your sin. In fact, if you talk to God about your sin, he's like, I don't know what you're talking about because he can't remember it. He's not looking at it. I don't even think he looks at us in our sin. We don't need to be sin focused. There are some things that need to change in our life. Yes, let's change those things, but let's not focus on those things. Let's turn on the light, focus on the light. And um, our struggle is never to get God to forgive us. If you are struggling to get God to forgive you, you're in a losing struggle. He has already forgiven you. God has no language wrapped around, God, I need you to really forgive me. I didn't need to really feel your forgiveness. This is how you feel God's forgiveness. You believe that he's forgiven you, and then the feeling comes. Our Christian life isn't based on how we feel. It's based on what he's done. His, what he's done, the work of the cross trumps and obliterates what I feel. So if I'm feeling not worth it, that's a lie. And if I keep repeating that lie to him, what's he going to do? He's done everything he's going to do. It hinges on that. So our struggle is never to get God to forgive us. It's never for us to repeat to him our sin over and over. It's always for us to receive his love. It's always for us to receive his love and to believe. And the bigger your arms will open up, the more you believe. You can be like, God, give me, give me, give me something, God. Or you, you know, when I, when I was a 13, 14 years old, I, I had hated church. I wasn't, I had to go to church up until a certain age and, and Grants Pass, Oregon, Southern Oregon were removed. My dad started going to church for some reason. And, um, they said, you don't have to go to church anymore. Of course, they were really smart about this. They gave me a list of chores back then, like literally like chop wood. We lived out in the country, no TV, no phone, stuff like that. Chop wood, you know, um, uh, cut the grass, which back then was which one of those round mowers that had a little misshaped blade. Trim, trim the yard, which was with hand trimmers. You get on your hands and knees and you go. So it was like I worked for three or four hours for months just so I wouldn't have to go to church on Sunday. And my, my sisters kept coming back and uh, telling them how awesome it was. I was like, that's crazy. There's no way church is good. And, um, and you know, so I, I, I got, I'd already been baptized, saved, and everything like that. And, um, but I just didn't like church at all. And uh, I remember being in worship services. I'm not a musical person. I don't have any music I listened to when I was a kid. I don't have any, like, music doesn't move me. But I kept reading in Bible that I was, in the Bible, I'm supposed to praise God. 
So I, so I'd repeat, so I started with saying the words, saying the words. And I was like, ah, and it's like, oh, I'm supposed to do it joyfully. Oh, I'm supposed to do it with my hands. And I made a commitment at 14 years old to raise my hands during worship. And I hardly go through a worship service without raising my hands. There's something there where it doesn't matter what I feel or what I think. God's word in my heart and in scripture trumps what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. And I've got to submit to that if I want to be truly free and walk in that freedom. So my struggle is never, and I'm not doing this for God to forgive me. I'm doing this because he has forgiven me. And if I come in and don't feel forgiven, I don't feel good, I don't feel at peace, and I'm missing something, I'm lacking something, I want to engage with him. And there's something that happens, I'm going to talk about next week, that when we, when we tell our body what to do, when our spirit says something, and we tell our body what to do, and our, and our mouth says it, then we've just engaged our flesh and our emotions and our mind with what the Spirit's doing, and something like drastically happens. That's why you dance when you're depressed. That's why you celebrate when you're feeling bad. That's why you get out Scripture and you start saying them lies. For me, I say them louder and louder and louder, like Psalms 11. And if you read something that doesn't resonate, yeah, I just, I just on my Bible, I just put amplified, and I get another version of it, and I read it loud. Because what it does, it stirs up something inside of me. It doesn't stir up me. It stirs up what I believe about him to be true because I'm, I'm worshiping and honoring and trying to get my own life straight, trying to work out wrongly my forgiveness, my freedom, instead of going to him with it. So Peter receives God's love. Judas worked, worked for it on his own terms and in so killed himself. There's a listening to the Holy Spirit that's got to be done. It's got to be done in all your spiritual practices, in all your conversations, in all your dealings, in all your things. There's a listening to the Holy Spirit that must be done. And then uh, it says here, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away and went to the cross. You're forgiven. Notice that you're not just forgiven, you're alive. There's a difference just between being forgiven and forgiven and still broken. That's how we think. That's a lot of us think Christianity is that way. I'm forgiven, but I have to be broken the rest of my life. You know, I found out early on, I do not have to look like my brothers, my, 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 my biological brothers. I don't have to be... Uh, in the Oregon State Penitentiary. <laughs> I don't have to be uh, um, what did he, uh, living in a lean-to, my other brother, living in a lean-to, uh, guarding marijuana when marijuana was Ill- illegal in the 90s. I don't have to be that guy. I can be a different person. I don't mean a Christian person or a church or a pastor. I mean a guy that has long-term good relationships, who's gaining over the years peace, more and more peace, more and more stability. Because I don't come from that. That's not, that's not who I, uh, the enemy has start, had started me out to be. So there's something there of um, the Holy Spirit working in us and believing these scriptures that I am alive. And when I'm not alive, to, to talk to God about why I'm not alive. And then start, then start believing that I'm alive. If you start believing, then your feelings and your thoughts will change about you. But God went further and he changes everything. Not just by forgiving you. Not just by bringing you alive, but by taking away the power of sin over your life. So if there's any power of sin over your life, it's not because God's given the devil power of sin over your life. It's because you are allowing that. And so you work that out with him and you get rid of that power. And you can, that, 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 so there's things you can work through. Now there's, um, 
Well, I'm going to have to just do, do that one. Uh, so what does it look like if the cross literally does change everything? It looks like we look at sin completely different than we look at sin. We don't look at it with fleshly eyes. We look at it with spiritual eyes. Everything changes. How I respond to sin, how I think about sin, how I even feel about myself when I recognize I'm in sin changes. And the effects of sin. So the effects of sin, not my sin, but the effects of of the weight of sin on the world would be sickness and disease and poverty and racism and sexism. And all those things are results of the weight of sin that's upon the world. But we look at it differently now that the cross is here and we engage differently with those things about it. And but specifically about how we see ourselves. Like Peter, we openly embrace the love of God. Jesus is there cooking Peter a meal and um, when he's out fishing. And uh, Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to Jesus to get there. And they don't have this big, long conversation. Um, Jesus asks him three times a question. Then he says, Peter, um, I'm going to make you, you're going to fish for men, which he had already called him pre-call. He had already called him pre-cross. But everything looks different for Peter at that point. Everything. He becomes a man that stands up and thousands are saved because he preaches. He becomes a man that miracles happen all around him through people that he's with, people that he's leading, and through his very own hands in his prayers. So everything changes. And it's meant to change for you and me, by the way. It's meant to change for us. Do you believe that? It's meant to change, but it doesn't look, your change doesn't look like change like my change looks. It looks like change for you. It might, it might mean you're speaking up more, that you're louder, that you're, that, you're, that you're seeking some of that power that God has for you. For some of you, it's like tamping down your own power so that God can work through you. It looks like different things. For me, it, it doesn't look like not being um, sick or depressed or addicted, but it looks like something. And I'm desperate for that something. And I want you guys to be desperate for that something, for that something that God has created you for, that God wants to do in you and through you. I'm going to end with communion. So if you can take, um, take your communion out.